You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. So words like humility, we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. The word like role, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. A word like authentic, love must be sincere. A word like devoted, be devoted to one another in love. A word like selfless, honor one another above yourselves. Practice hospitality. A word like empathy, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. A word like peaceable, live in harmony with one another. A word like resolved, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. These are the things we've been looking at this past month, the month of September. I trust that these words, maybe they're just words that you know and are kind of familiar with. I trust that as we say them over and over and over again, that you would realize that these words are what are supposed to characterize our relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship to the world, our relationship with ourselves, our relationships amongst our family, then our friends, then our coworkers, our neighbors, and the world at large. You see, in the idea of how God has created us to live, it's with this, this love for God and this relationship with God that we are all his. We are body, body, mind, soul, spirit, loving God. But also the design of God is not just focused toward him, but out of that, we are living in a, in a, in a way that we love others as we love ourselves. This year, we've talked about themes of loving God. We've talked about things of making disciples, this doing part, this purpose part of our design. But we have spent a month walking through a passage of scripture that is instructing us how to love others. Relational God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, created in his image, we are relational in nature. I realize when I talk to a room like this that every one of the Enneagram types is represented in here today. Somebody's a three, somebody's a five, somebody's a seven, and some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Look it up, Google it, figure it out. It's really good. Some of you are introverts, some of you are extrovert, some of you are... Um, you're, you're wired. We're all just wired different, right? We're different. And yet, even in our differences, our introverted, extroverted, all this stuff, one of the core longings, desires, wiring, DNA of who you are is you were meant to be and are only fulfilled when you are in vibrant, life-giving relationships amongst yourself. Doesn't matter your personality. The way that we are created in God's image is to have connection and relationship with one another. And that's why as, as Paul writes this book of Romans, he articulates in maybe the best way in all of scripture, although it's all good, like Romans is the most, 
exhaustive articulation of who we are, who God is, our sin, our lostness, his salvation, the Holy Spirit, forgiveness, um, all these things, uh, the power of sin in our life, the power of grace in our life, all these things. It's like 11 chapters. He's, he gives us, hey, this is the info. This is what you need to know. And then he switches immediately in Romans chapter 12 to this is the place where it's most vitally lived out, essentially lived out, and that's in relationship with one another. You will, I will not be fulfilled until we can lean into this idea of what it is to love others as we've loved ourselves. The world that we live in, the kingdoms of this world, the cultures of this world, the practices of this world are, are telling you that <clears throat> everything must come back to you and it must be for you and you must, and the kingdom of Jesus Christ is saying, actually, if you want to experience the fulfillment I've designed you with, it's to live with an others first mentality. And so... We've walked through 16 verses, this ever-expanding uh, kind of, of relationships It kind of goes out. And I'm excited that as we finish Romans 12 today, that for the next three Sundays, we're going to answer the question, so what does it look like? And what am I going to do about it? That's two questions. We're gonna actually have some of you peers in a panels talking about how these words and these themes and this truth lives out in our marriages, in our parenting, in our homes, in our workplace, in our, okay? But yeah, let's just finish the text today and then take the rest of the month and allow the text to continue to speak into how it looks and it's lived out. The text follows what Carrie showed last week. It's like 14, 15, 16, and then 17 through 21 are this kind of idea of um, trying to think about how to illustrate this. You know, if you watch crime dramas or stuff like that or movies, sometimes you have this whole idea of good cop, bad cop, right? Good cop comes in, tries to, you know, positively get somebody to confess to something. Then if that doesn't work, bad cop comes in and, you know, yells and gets in their face and throws a chair around and tries to scare the person. Are you following me? Yeah. Good cop, bad cop. Well, God's not good cop, bad cop. But there is a sense where in relationships, God is saying, hey, 14, 15, 16, here's what to do. Like, Bless, rejoice, mourn. Like these are virtues of how to open up the pathways of connection with one another. If you want to have this life-giving uh, community in your life, then practicing the virtues of blessing people even when they wrong you, of rejoicing and mourning together with them, of associating, identifying, of sharing in that life. This is, this is a key. But, you know, he also says, hey, this is what to do. But he also says, this is what not to do. You know, as a coach, I realize that 
having in a basketball team, having 12 different personalities and individuals, that some of the kids responded well to just positive reinforcement, right? Like it, it, you just begin to understand their makeup. And, you know, if they, <laughs> they came down the court and they just, you know, drove in one on four and shot and just totally, you know, selfishly tried to, like, if I would have got into them a little bit, they'd have just went blank. Like they don't hear what I'm saying because they hear how I'm saying it. You know, other kids, <laughs> you could use all the positive reinforcement in the world. Sometimes you just look at them and say, stop, right? We're all wired differently. We all need both. Some of us speak those languages a little better than the other one. And yet the Lord in his wisdom knows that we need both positive instruction, but we also are wired as individuals to need warning. Hey, here's what not to do. Some of us have learned uh, from our parents, from their marriages. I always know in premarital counseling, I always ask the couples, share one thing with me that you love about your parents, that you want to recreate. And then I say, share one thing about <laughs> your parents that you ain't doing that. <laughs> like, I've seen that. That doesn't work. We all have it. We do. We really do. But so often we, we learn from what was good, but also what not to do from morning. And that's these verses we're going to look at today. The power of these words, I, I really don't need to add a ton of commentary in them. They speak in and of themselves, but let's dive into them a bit and think about in the context of relationships, how we can choose to live in this way and what God's telling us. Verse 17, do not repay evil for evil. This word repay, the, the, the etymology of it is, it's like exact payback, penny for penny. It's the phrase that we use today often, do not get even. Yeah. Do you hear me? The life of healthy relationships is lived with the rejection of getting even. Tit for tat. That what breaks the cycles of brokenness, dysfunction, lack of harmony, relational drama, is when one person in the relationships decide, you know what? I'm just not going to get even. I am going to let it go. Do not repay evil for evil. You realize that our civilization is marked by this not being practiced. Like the reason why our world with wars and rumors of wars and all sorts of dysfunction and all sorts of nuclear weapons to protect ourselves and to, all this is because we have never figured out how to stop trying to get even with one another. I mean, from the stories of scripture early on to every, every civilization, ancient and present, there's just this natural, uh, seemingly in our fallenness, that if you hit me in the nose, 
I'm going to try to uppercut you, right? I'm going to hit back. And And the Lord is telling us today that actually relationships thrive when we lose that mentality. And getting even is gone. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. There's a sensitivity that comes in our relationships. Be careful. It's like I am thinking about how I came across and the power of my words and actions to you. That I actually consider that perception can be reality from other people and that their perception of my intent can be widely misunderstood. Amen? Come on, everybody should say amen to that. We all know what it's like to be misunderstood or to misunderstand, and that I'm willing, I'm careful to be sensitive to, hey man, if I came across that way, I'm really sorry. One thing my dad, who is a lifelong minister, would always say, it's always stuck with me, is in essence this, that the life following Jesus creates a good reverse gear. The life following Jesus creates in his followers a good reverse gear. There's the ability to look at someone and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Be careful to do what is right in the sight and the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with each other. As I dwelt on this this week, I began to realize something unlocked in my mind of the you know, hundreds of conversations I've had with people who have attended a church that I've pastored, that oftentimes they will come in and, and they will be dealing with relational trauma or broken relationships, dysfunctional relationships. And they're there because they're sincere about seeing that healing. And oftentimes they will say, look, man, I have, I'm here because I want this fixed and I've been willing to apologize. I've been willing to own what was mine. I've been willing to do counseling. I've been able to work. And yet the other person, whether it be a spouse or a family member or a friend, they just won't do it. And I've watched an incredible, uh, incredible sorrow as these sincere people who are willing to not, you know, they're willing to say if they did something wrong, they just want peace, they want reconciliation, and yet they live with tremendous sense of guilt because the other person won't re- reciprocate it. I'm telling you that the scriptures today should disarm you from that guilt as much as is possible. If you've done your part, do not live with the guilt of their refusal to reconcile. You know why this is important relationally? Is because oftentimes in those close relationships, when there is not reconciliation and guilt resides, it opens the door for further abuse. 
it opens the door for further dysfunction. And I am, I am imploring you. This is for somebody today. I just knew like, you know how when you're preparing something, and, and I'm not saying the Lord like came down and wrote my sermon or something, you know, that, would you think I was weird if I said that? Like I put my hand down and he started, no. But I just knew, because I know us and I know life, that people get hung up on like, man, I did my best and they still don't want any of it. And I just failed. No, you didn't. And allow yourself to be free relationally from reconciliation being all on you. Do your part and live at peace. As much as it's possible, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. I try to skip this verse. I have Scottish-Irish blood just coursing through my veins. And you know what? Irish and Scottish people have given to the world? The desire to get even. I mean, even today in the 21st century, go over to Ireland, I've been over there, the, the, the Protestants and the Catholics still are doing crazy things to each other. Two Christian groups that bomb one another and harm one another. They just can't get over it. They just keep getting even. And I'm gonna be honest, I'm wired like, man, you put a lineup of movies in front of me, I'll gravitate toward the revenge story. Like, Right? And yet the Lord has taught me powerfully in my life that relationships never thrive and it's only, only destructive when I take things into my own hands and try to get even with somebody. That actually, in my willingness to not punch back, I free myself and I give opportunity for God to do incredible things. Because Jesus Christ himself models this. <laughs> Son of God, in the flesh, the anointed one, beaten, scourged, modged, uh, uh, falsely accused, had the ability just like this, to call a legion of angels to make things right. And he chose not to. And then he instructs us, let revenge be my thing, not yours. Listen to what he says. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. This gives me great hope because so often people have said, you can't take revenge. And I'm like, well, that's not fair. Not fair. Can't live with it. Hate it. And yet there's such a balance that God does right wrongs. There is not 
unfairness and inequality with God. He will restore and call to account all things. That it's not like, well, that sounds terrible and I want nothing to do with that. You're those kind of people that hit you in the nose and you just are like, okay, doormat. Like, man, this world stinks. Who wants that? No, I'm telling you. I will revenge, says the Lord. He is a God of fairness and justice and equality. And in his wisdom, his timing, in his providence, he works all those things. His call to us is to be his children, not to try to be him. And to trust the heavenly father in his goodness, in his justice, and in his timing. I've looked at this in my own family members' eyes and said, listen, it looks like they just got by with it. You ever said that? It's not fair. They just got by with it, and we just, that's galling, right? And we're like, I'm not going to let them get by with it. And yet the life of Jesus calls us to believe that they will not get by with it that the Lord sorts out and always brings justice. If not here, you know where. On the contrary, but this is what's amazing about this whole passage. Okay, Chip, you told me somebody hits me in the nose, don't hit them back. Okay. That sounds, I can, I think I can do that. Guess what? On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you heap burning coals on his head. Now again, the good Irish in me is like, oh yeah, here we go. So I'm good and God's just gonna rain fire on him. Burn him up. I got what I wanted. Totally misunderstood the, the context of this, right? It's easy to do sometimes. You know, it carries the theme of hungry, give them food, thirsty, give them drink. Fire was really important in the ancient times. There were no furnaces and there were no stoves. Fire was it. And guess what? They used coals. And it's the idea of if I see the one who has mistreated me huddled, shivering, cold, and hungry without a fire, I take coals from my own fire I, in the way they carried them, and I go and give him so he can see the theme is there. So basically what he's saying is, not only if somebody hits you in the nose, don't hit them back, give them a bottle of water. This is radical, isn't it? But I will tell you what's not been working. Hitting back. It's not made anything better. Getting even has not fixed our societal ills. Getting even hasn't created a utopia of harmony and friendship and love. This is what, this is what stops. The cycles of dysfunction and begins to repair and restore 
relationships. He finishes it this way. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So here's just some thoughts for you as we go, as we think about the call of God for us to be peaceable, to be peaceable. Peaceable is saying, I will choose not to retaliate. I will not get even with you. I will lay down my arms, so to speak. In fact, I want us to be at peace so much that I'll actually lay down my arms and I'll give you a bottle of water. I'll treat you like you did not deserve to be treated. I'll give you mercy and not retaliating, but I'll also give you grace and giving you something you didn't deserve. That sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Didn't somebody treat us that way? Oh, yeah. Because he says this, do not repay, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. This is so important, this word overcome. It's, it's actually the, the etymology of the word is what now the shoe company Nike, that's where Nike comes from. Nike is the idea of conqueror, overcoming. It's Romans chapter eight. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are Nikea, Nike. See, Nike with this whole, you know, athletic, we're gonna win, that's that word. And this is the same word, and it's like, understand people, as he finishes this up, that the place where evil can reside the most is in our relationships. Be aware. So often we get so like, oh, evil and the enemy of our soul, that when circumstances go bad, when I lose my job, or when I have something come up, or my physical health, the enemy is fighting and evil is existing, and I live in a fallen world, and he's saying, whoa, 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 help you need to understand something that actually evil exists most powerfully in our relationships with one another. That the thing that really grips a hold of people is when there is revenge and bitterness and hatred and envy and strife. And these things come in and they conquer your heart and your soul. And if you are not aware that this can happen, you will be overcome. But instead, overcome evil with good. Be proactively pushing back against relational evil. It's like, hey guys, be on guard because this one's, this one's easy to happen to you. It can slip right in really fast. I mean, somebody says something wrong and man, I start holding a grudge. And then that grudge, it's nursed and it turns into bitterness, resentment. And then it stays a while and now it's bitterness. And now my whole world is clouded by these lens of bitterness and resentment. And I begin to just spew hatred and, and untrue things and lies. and just, you, you see what I mean? Like, be on guard. Do not be overcome. Understand the battle's going on, but overcome. Be proactive. Here's some thoughts before we go. You and I play God when we try to get even. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I don't know about you, but... Um, in me trying to get even, I usurp God's role as the judge. I begin to say, hey, I can do this, God. 
let me handle this. And have you figured out that's a bad place to be? It's not a weight you want to carry. It will destroy your life. Let God be God. Second thing is, I invite invite chaos when I try to get even. Because we're not God and we're not perfect and we're fallen, the end trying to get even, it's like Shakespeare's Hamlet, right? Like one of these cultural things that describe humanity, Hamlet, it's this idea of there was an offense, then there was a response to the offense, and by the end of the play, everybody's dead almost. Right? Like you hear this in politics or in PR, the cover-up becomes worse than the lie, and then... Like when we take things into our own hands, we just open the door for all sorts of chaos, all sorts of collateral damage, all sorts of hurt and wounds. We don't know how to do this very well. And so God is like, don't do it. Let me do it. Let it go. In fact, stop yourself from those inclinations by instead of just like, okay, I can stand, I can stand. Why don't you go grab a bottle of water? (laughs) bottle of water and give it to them. Why don't you do something good for them? Why don't you, didn't Jesus say pray for those? Bless them who persecute you. Another thought, fighting fire with fire, it only burns it all down. It really does. Fighting fire with fire only burns it all down. And these last two thoughts, our response actually ends up validating our witness. That when we respond in this upside down kingdom way, we begin to communicate to a lost, broken world and lost, broken people that the grace of Jesus Christ is able to do something truly transformational in our lives that when we stop punching back, whoa, what's going on there? It only begins to bring glory to the Father in heaven. Second thing is this, our response actually opens the door for a greater thing. Here's what I mean by this, Romans chapter two. He's writing earlier in this book and he says, don't show contempt for the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience. Don't be upset that God, he's talking to Jewish people, right? Like, don't be upset that God wants everybody to be saved. Like, they were upset about that. We're the special people. Like, come on. Do you not realize that God's kindness is actually intended to lead you to repentance? They're saying, no, they don't deserve your kindness. And God's saying, whoa, whoa, the only thing that changes anything in humanity and behavior is when you are kind when you shouldn't be. That actually the kindness of God draws men to repent. I didn't need to know I was a sinner. I already knew that. And I didn't need to be told by God more and more how sinful I was. That did not help me. The thing that changed me was the fact that God chose to forgive me and love me in spite of me being a sinner. When I couldn't fix it, and when I wouldn't fix it, God still loved me enough to bring me to a point to just, okay, I want you. And in our lives, our response in this way relationally with our spouse, 
with our kids, with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, when we refuse to get even, when we repay good for evil instead of evil for evil, we begin to open the door for a change to happen. That as God showed kindness to us and drew us to repentance, when we show kindness to others, we draw them to want something better and greater. I'll just finish with this illustration. You know, in the mid-1800s, did you know we fought a war in our country? Like uh, the Civil War. And um, it it was terrible. It's one of the blackest uh, parts of of our our country, our history. Um, And we were fighting over a number of things, but primarily we're fighting over this this, uh, country prerogative to think that um, you could own other people as slaves. I mean, it was just so immoral. The blackest of black, right? Like the misuse of, of uh, God's gracious gift of one another to each other to pervert that and, and actually have a country that said that and mandated that and allowed that. We fought against that. And we, there was this emancipation proclamation. And like that didn't legally exist anymore. But you know what was sad? For the next hundred years, it might not have existed legally, but in so many hearts and minds, it still existed. There was still a sense of uh, one race was better than the other. And we created, even though legally you couldn't own a slave, there still was the, you know, different bathrooms, different drinking fountains, different places on buses. And the vestiges of racism still existed in a powerful and potent way, even if they didn't legally. In the middle of the 19th century, there's a man who just called, moved to speak out against this to call us to something better. And yet, Martin Luther King Jr. knew that really the only way for this to ever change was not to respond to this evil with evil. But he began to espouse the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, to do good when persecuted, to repay good for evil. And in his work and life and ministry of good being repaid for evil, he began to turn the hearts and minds of people until it became a movement, until our national consciousness became pricked to a point where we're like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. We got to stop segregating schools. We got to stop all this. Can I say this word on Sunday? Crap because that's what that was. If he would have tried to repay evil with evil, it would have went nowhere because the evil in power at that time would have squashed it. But in him responding in Sermon on the Mount principle, he began to awaken to so many more people a greater thing, the equality of all people. We still have a ways to go on that, right? 
but we're a lot farther down the road than we were in 1863, and we're farther down the road than we were in 1963. And I trust that God, as we continue to repay good for evil, will continue in that road and in all of our lives to change the dynamics of our relationships and to break the dysfunctional cycles that exist. Father, I pray today that you would continue to move us to a point where we know what it is to love others as ourselves. Lord, part of that is (laughs) learning to not get even. In fact, you've got something that helps us even with that. Instead of punching back, we give something back, a bottle of water, food, kindness, And Lord, in those responses, these responses lead to the greater thing that is the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us and always to practice being peaceable and being resolved to be good instead of evil in our daily lives. I pray this thing in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.